What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Up Finance podcast, the podcast where we discuss what's up with the market, the economy, and any other worthwhile topics and discussions. My name is Camden Alconati, and joining me today is Scott Monroe. Scott Monroe has decades of experience in public and private real estate management and investment, and he now operates a growing private real estate company in the Orange County area specialized in affordable housing. Hello, Scott. Good afternoon. We have spoken with you before on our 14th episode. You told us about your background and your upbringing, as well as your various work experiences in real estate and your transition from being an employee to opening up your own real estate management and acquisition company. Today, I want to ask you questions about your recent company transformation. You have made the decision to outsource all of the management work to another management company. We could start by explaining your background to the audience again. Just a, qu- a quick overview of my background. Um, started out in real estate as, as a young child, working in my father's real estate business, um, getting exposed to different types of real estate at that time, from multifamily to single family to commercial, etc. I had a chance to branch out and go work for other individuals throughout my career, and up to and including companies that focused on large institutional quality product in the multifamily sector in particular, both on the management and development side. Actually, and then I, from that point, moved forward into the publicly traded arena. I worked for a company called Archstone, managing a portfolio of 15,000 units, all multifamily, uh, some mixed use, but mostly all multifamily in California. Moved on from there, worked for another development company on the management side as well and then branched off and started uh, my own firm, focusing on manufactured housing. Now, with most family businesses, and I've had first experience um, seeing this, uh, working for you and working with you, the employees of the company become part of the family. Now, with this transition and trying to outsource the management work, How long have you been planning this transformation and what caused you to want to make this transition? Actually, we've been looking at a uh, transition for probably about two or three years. Um, Going back and forth, what's the best strategy? Because our company has grown considerably over the years and it becomes more and more difficult to run the day-to-day management operations without a deep infrastructure in place. A hard part when you create a deep infrastructure is you create additional overhead and you lose for a temporary period of time, you lose economies of scale. So what I mean by that, let's say I have to hire a full charge CPA slash accountant who has the capability of doing work on portfolios double my existing portfolio size. Well, I would have to overpay for an extended period of time because our growth strategy is one to two assets a year. So it creates an inefficiency in my operations, both operationally and financially, that made us look outside and consider going to a third-party management company. Now, you've had vast experience in the management of real estate where you've worked up in Sacramento, not Sacramento, um, San Francisco, as well as um, more poorer areas in, in, in that San Francisco area. 
can you tell us more about the dark side of real estate management and um, how difficult it really is to manage tenants? I'm not sure if I call it a dark side, um, but a challenging side uh, is having to deal with low-income housing in particular, um, because one of the things that you see, you see two, a couple different things, but one of them in particular is you see how individuals in that economic strata do not make good decisions sometimes. So as an example, it could be a single parent with one or two children, perhaps they're on welfare, which is referred to as AFDC, and they have a significant other that's around, but does not contribute to the household. So you have this individual receiving state aid, having to support not only their children, but also a significant other. And instead of putting money towards rent and utilities, they might put money towards alcohol, cigarettes, uh, and things of that nature. So it's really disheartening when you see that. Second thing is when you see the lack of pride in their home. And it's not necessarily just low income, but it's sometimes it's just renters in general or even homeowners who do not take a sense of pride in their home. And there's absolutely no excuse to not be clean and, and maintain pride in your home just because of your economic situation. Um, that to me was probably the most difficult thing to, to understand is how people could have a, such a filthy living environment when it costs nothing to, to keep it up. That's probably the darkest side of real estate management. Now, what I, what I mean by the dark side of real estate management, one of the causing factors of you to transition out of the management scene is the way that tenants like to approach attacking the management company with lawsuits and uh, getting these pro, uh, I guess, nonprofit uh, companies to, to take the legal side and then harass the real estate company. Now, has this been one of the factors of why you want to make this transition? And can you tell us a little bit about that? Certainly, it's, it's uh, come into consideration. And essentially what it is, is that there are legal firms who, who uh, disguise themselves as nonprofit, who actually turn out to be uh, extortionist. And perhaps it's a difficult word uh, to convey a message. But it's the truth. They will hold you up, they'll hold you hostage until you essentially pay them ransom to let you out. And case in point, um, they actually walk the halls of the courthouses soliciting business from those that we have filed uh, unlawful detainers against. So it's a very dark side because what these folks don't understand is that every time I have to settle something that's not justified, but I have to settle because it's less expensive, I have to look at my financials. And when my financials do not support ongoing improvements to the property and maintaining uh, the asset, then I am compelled to go and raise rents so I can uh, maintain the property as well as a reasonable rate of return. 
So these individuals at these courthouses think they're doing somebody good, but actually we're hurting the greater population that rents prevent from moving. So it's a very dark side. The second thing is that laws have now been written so much that it is extremely difficult to evict anybody, even though the folks that are being evicted have made conscious, conscious decisions not to pay rent when they're capable of doing so. And again, every time I don't receive a rent, it puts pressure on me to raise rents to those that remain in the property in good standing. Now, why do you think um, they teach people in real estate management courses um, when people are trying to get the real estate license, as well as the state implying that the tenant has always the right of way and they're always right. Why do you think they um, are out against the landlords? I think probably they're out against the landlord is based on perceptions that all landlords are rich and greedy and take advantage of those that need to rent. And it's absolutely not the case. Um, you know, a landlord is providing a service that typically the government would be responsible for. They should be rewarded financially for taking on the, the added risk. Um, and for the most part, most landlords are very decent individuals and want to maintain their properties and do the right thing. There are always the exception, and that's you have slumlords, and nobody's going to disagree that there aren't slumlords out there, but that's the very few. And yet the whole industry is perceived to be that way, greedy slumlords taking advantage of the underground. So now to get back onto the topic of discussion, can you give us the exact details of this transition and this transaction between your company and the new real estate management company that you're working with? I can't give all the details, but I'll give you an overview. Um, essentially, the, the manufactured home space that we're in, there's very few companies that offer what they call third-party management services, where they will manage assets that they don't own. The individual that I came across, uh, he is somebody that has done brokerage services for me in the past, both uh, bringing opportunities for me to purchase as well as, as well as selling some of my assets. And he continues to expand his business and he realizes that there's an opportunity for him if he begins third-party management operations when an owner uh, is so inclined to sell, their most likely choice of broker will be that person who's managing the property for them uh, and whatnot. So we, we decided to uh, move forward, did reference checks with his existing clients um, and his existing clients that we checked, I always try to do the ones that are the most recent client, the, the oldest client, um, and the clients that have properties that are similar to ours, just to see if I hear, you know, a common theme in their capabilities, things of that nature. And I'm fortunate with this firm that uh, we did hear that. Second thing is that uh, this particular broker, because he sold me properties in the past and he has sold my properties, he understands our product niche very well. He understands that we are not the uh, you know, five-star hotel type product. We are uh, something much less than that. So he's very comfortable with that. 
the staff he has um, brought on board is very comfortable with that as well. So we think it's a very good transition from that standpoint. So you did your due diligence. You've had past relationships with him where he would be your broker in either selling or helping you buy a property. Um, and you were able to reach out to or speak with other clients of his to be able to see if this is the right fit for you? Or That's, that's correct. That's okay. correct. Very important that you, you do that. Um, it's not a foolproof method. Uh, I did the same thing with uh, another property type of mine and did research on a third-party management company. Had very good references and it didn't work out. So it's not 100%, but at least you are attempting to do your due diligence to the best of your ability. What you owe yourself and your employees. So, from my understanding, the transaction is you give him the management responsibilities of all your properties. He takes the management fee, as well as he would most likely be the broker um, if you ever want to buy or sell another property within his area of, of work. Um, and then you um, get to relieve yourself as, of, of all the work of being that manager, that managing role. Um, and then you get free time to work on other things that you want to do and want to achieve. That's the objective. We don't know yet if that will be reality. Um, part of what you learn by having your own business versus working for somebody is you have an attachment to to the people that have worked for you and have worked very hard for you, and you have an attachment to the entire operations. And so letting go 100% is gonna be difficult. Not sure if we'll ever let go to that extent, but what we will do is transition into a slightly different role, more of a pure ownership role versus an owner manager role. So we'll still be able to touch the assets the way we want to, um, but, and, but we'll look at it from a slightly different vantage point, which we're excited about. One of the things I encourage anybody that's in the real estate arena to do is to always pay attention. And regardless of the skill set of the management company that works for you or your employees, you don't want to take your, your uh, you don't want to turn your head away and, and say everything's okay. You've always got to be looking. And you're looking not only for areas to improve, but you're looking for opportunities. And that's one of the things when you're, you stay involved, you still see an opportunity that you might not have seen before. So that's what we're hoping to achieve uh, by transitioning the management for the most part, but staying involved and looking at it strictly from an ownership perspective. Now you spoke about how you've been working with these employees for, for many, many, many years and how you think you can never have a hands-off approach to fully 100% giving away the entire management process to the other company. How difficult was it for you to tell your employees um, about this transition, and how did they respond? In all honesty, I don't think it was difficult to tell them but it turned out to be a humbling experience. Um, I look at it, you know, it, it's the right, right progression for the company to go to, to transition to a third party, third party management company to allow greater efficiencies, greater opportunities, uh, better support for, the, for individuals out at the site level and things of that nature. 
was humbling was the emotional attachment that everyone has with, with myself and, and my wife, who's my partner on this pro these properties. Because a lot of these employees have been with us 10, 10 plus years. And a lot of them we had brought on into the organization and gave them an opportunity when other companies would not have done the same. And that's not, that's not meant to, to boast about that because these individuals have given their all to us and we never want to lose sight of that. They work extremely hard under some very challenging situations and have always been there for us and we want to be there for them. So what we're hopeful is that by allowing them to integrate with a larger company, they'll learn new ways of doing the same business and expand their breadth of knowledge. And hopefully they'll have support from the infrastructure of this larger company that we weren't able to provide. And they'll be able to do better at their job, take on new opportunities, and hopefully increase their, their earning capacity as well. Now, with all transactions and with all trade-offs, there's going to be opportunity costs as well as indirect and direct costs. Um, you'll be giving away a lot of your work, your day-to-day your -day work and responsibilities where that fulfills your life and gives you something to do, as well as you're going to be overwhelming them with a ton of more work and you hope that they have the infrastructure in place to be able to handle all that new workload. Um, now, do you have faith that this new company will be able to operate with, I guess, 50% more work or 100% more work? Are they doubling in size or tripling in size or having? We believe they are doubling in size and unit count, not necessarily property count, but in unit count. We're confident they have the infrastructure they hired in advance and had excess capacity when we uh, finalized our deal. Um, in addition, we are staying very involved in the transition. Um, and I have maintained support personnel at a corporate office to make sure that we um, don't lose a beat in this transition. We don't uh, put ourselves in, in greater risk uh, and things of that nature. So we are Watching this day to day, again, I've maintained the personnel in my corporate office to ensure a smooth and ongoing transition. Now, you'll be losing most of your day to day responsibilities of, of keeping um, your properties in check and, and making sure that everyone is doing well in the properties and making sure that tenants are paying on time and going through all of that. What will you be doing now with your free time? Well, I wouldn't consider it free time, but what I consider is it's uh, the objective here is, again, to now look for new opportunities. Um, step back and look for new opportunities in the same and different markets and have the ability to uh, travel more to those other outside markets and to also be able to consider different uh, lines within the real estate sector. So as an example, right now, I think there is a, an opportunity to expand our existing mobile home parks through development. The issue is it takes a considerable amount of time and resources to pursue that opportunity. 
by freeing myself of the day-to-day operations, this will allow me to concentrate more closely on the development potential. Again, hopefully it's on our existing properties. There's also another strategy to look at other assets that could be developed into affordable housing as well. So besides development on your existing properties and looking at other assets to develop into affordable housing, is there anything else on your bucket list? Any other cool projects you're working on? Well, we've got, um, we are, it's part of our development, but we're like looking to create a, what we've termed a sustainable village, which again is affordable housing development, but taking into consideration Sustainability, both from an environmental standpoint, as well as sustainability of, of individuals for themselves uh, through retraining efforts, as well as uh, being able to create jobs and things of that nature. So I think our sustainable village concept, again, is a com- combination of development, but also looking at some other avenues to help those that are less well off and get their feet back on the ground, taking into consideration our environment at the same time. Do you think you'll always stay within um, your niche of Class C in low-income housing? I think our niche will continue to be uh, working-class properties, whether it's uh, Class C or B, um, to be uh, to be determined. Um, I don't envision going into Class A. I am not large enough to be competitive with acquisitions in the Class A market. There's too much demand from large institutional investors, as well as those that have 1031 tax-deferred monies. So we choose to go after working-class properties, C, B properties, uh, and I, I think we will not deviate from that going forward. Now, allocation and diversification has always been the two um, best things to try to hedge out your tail risk. Um, Being an asset management company, I would say most of your holdings are in real estate. Are you looking to manage other types of assets or do you want to stay within real estate? For hard assets, we'll, we'll most likely stay in real estate. We are looking at investments and have invested in uh, deeds of trust as well, and we are looking to continue to expand that, although it's real estate related, which puts us a little bit of risk. Um, we are also, we do have uh, investments into more traditional environments, such as uh, stocks and bonds. You have always focused on existing property acquisitions with value add. With your desire to start developing, what are your investment criteria and goals with that? The investment criteria, um, well, there's a couple of things. One is to make sure the neighborhood does not show signs of tremendous disrepair. And to make it easy, when, whenever I send somebody out to look at a property firsthand or I go out myself, I look at are there bars on the windows? Is there graffiti? Are there abandoned cars, etc.? If there are, I shy away from those areas. So that's one of my criteria is to, is to look at the condition of the neighborhood. 
also prefer if we can invest in higher cost of living areas where housing is, is relatively unaffordable. And California is a classic. It's, it's throughout the entire state, it's, it's not affordable for most people. Florida has been interesting um, because the minimum wage and the overall wage structure is slightly lower than California. What we perceive as affordable is not really affordable to Floridians who live here. And so we've been investing in large metropolitan areas where, again, from a California perspective, it's very affordable, but from a Florida perspective, it's not. And we choose to continue with that. Now, going from investing in existing property to developing your own property, um, there, there's more to factoring the cost and there's more to, to knowing actually what to do. Um, with existing property, all you have is the acquisition cost, but with developing the property, you have the land acquisition costs plus the development costs, and then you have to factor in additional costs. Um, are you prepared to go into this or do you think you'll have to learn a little bit more or are you a little nervous to start developing by yourself? Certainly a learning curve, even though I've, I've had exposure to it throughout my career. When it's your money on the line, there's an uh, elevated sense of uh, concern that goes with that. Uh, as well as when, if you have any partners, and the partners not, might not be as risk-oriented as yourself. So when it comes to development for the first time, what you have to think about is that you will be expending monies in advance of any approvals to develop. So you will have sunk costs into this property whether you develop it or not. That's kind of a hard pill to swallow sometimes. And it's very different than buying an existing asset where your pursuit costs up front are limited, um, very limited in, in actual dollar amounts. And if you don't get the deal, it's, it's not a huge hit on your financials. With development's a different story. You have a tremendous amount of upfront costs that you put at risk in seeking your ability to have approvals to develop. That's probably been the biggest shift in thought process um, that I've experienced so far. With regards to, let me go back on experience. The other thing, to compensate for my lack of experience, I've engaged development consultants who develop all the time and they are aware of what's required. So it's essentially a form of tuition that I'm paying them so I can learn. Do I envision myself to be the lead developer at any given point? I don't think so. I probably always rely on, on others, but at least I'll, I'll know more going into any deal in the future as to what to ask, what to consider financially and things of that nature. What attracts you to the developing side? Is it you want to envision something and then see it in reality? Is it you have um, some type of strategy in, in making affordable housing look better or feel better or cost less? The attraction to developing is two, twofold. One, we have existing land in our portfolio that came with our acquisitions. And number two, it's so competitive to buy existing product one of the ways we think we can grow the company is through development. Because finding another deal that's existing is going to take, take a while. 
Now that's a great transition into the current day. Um, you're still operating and running a company. Um, how has your company been performing during this unprecedented time of the COVID pandemic? For the most part, um, we've actually operated, we've exceeded expectations. Uh, in, in, in California in particular, um, we've done, knock on wood, ex extraordinarily well with our collections um, as compared to Florida. So when I look at that, what I've learned perhaps is that in Florida, the business model is different. We own a combination of multifamily and manufactured housing, but in Florida, the manufactured housing, we actually own the homes and not just the park. So the rent levels, both in the manufactured home communities and multifamily in Florida, is much greater than that in California where we have land lease communities only. Collections have been very strong in, in California and have not been as strong in Florida. And I attribute that to the different, the higher rent structure. Now, with most real estate owners in California, uh, the legislation that the state is imposing is something that they're fearing, and it, it may become worse in the future. How is that um, in play with your, your future strategy as a real estate owner in California? Legislation is absolutely frightening that's occurring in California. I'm not going to lie about that. Um, it has us reconsidering all future acquisitions in California. And if, there, if the risk reward is still there. The issue with California is that they are writing laws now that will prohibit landlords from enforcing the terms of the agreed upon contract, in particular for rent collection. And again, that's at the detriment of everyone else that, that is standing behind the written word of their contract and paying the rent. It's a frightening situation, um, and it will create tremendous financial harm to not only landlords, but more importantly, to those that are renters, because rents will need to escalate to compensate for those who choose not to pay their rent. Where do you see your company in two years, um, especially after this transition that you're going through now? Well, I, I guess I, uh, I, I envision more time um, focusing on, on acquisitions and or development. So hopefully we will grow uh, another two to four properties a year in the next couple of years. Uh, and again, hopefully part of that will be uh, development, which uh, brings some excitement to the organization and help us to look at other opportunities slightly different knowing we've got a new skill set within the company capable of managing. And my last question is, with institutional investors entering the mobile home space and with many investors focused on real estate investments, do you ever feel it's a crowded space? And do you ever think there won't be enough opportunity for you and you'll always be outbid in some sense? It's a very crowded space right now. Regards to institutional investors, typically, again, they go after higher quality product, then, and which has created an opportunity for us to create a niche and go after the two to three star mobile home parks, manufactured home parks, or the uh, CMB properties. 
And so if we continue to focus there, I think we'll find opportunities. It just won't be with as great a frequency as in the past. These are also entrants into the market of those that are less experienced that are outbidding us on some of these assets. And those individuals will at some point experience a downturn in the markets uh, so significant that they will have to put those properties back on the market. And there are certain investment fundamentals that you can't deviate from uh, in order to be successful in the long term. And I'm seeing many individuals really overpay for some of these assets um, with not keeping an eye on the future. Now, in the general sense, why do you think many people are attracted to the real estate space, either with real estate investments or getting their real estate license to become brokers and agents and sellers? I think part of it is the perception is to get rich quick. Uh, with a couple of transactions, uh, whether you're on the broker side or on the investment side. Um, with regards to investors, though, I think more so it's, it's the lack of alternative investments that provide a reasonable return. If you have excess cash you put in the bank, you're paying you know, less than one half of 1%. Uh, it's pretty discouraging because inflation will eat that away as compared to buying a hard asset where you can start out at a five or 6% return and hopefully grow that uh, into double digits. Is there anything else you'd like to share? The only thing would be that if, if you are looking at real estate investments is that you, you understand the strengths and weaknesses of each asset class and be careful not to get caught up in the, in the euphoria that's, that's in the marketplace right now with regards to real estate, whether it be a single family, industrial space, whatever the case might be. And you, you Step back and look at that it's a very cyclical business. There will be a downturn. And it's trying to anticipate what your exposure is in a downturn that will eventually come. So you need to be somewhat cautious. And that's what I would like to Awesome. Thank you, Scott, for joining us. Today we spoke with Scott Monroe, uh, the founder of Park Avenue Asset Management and soon-to-be Legacy Asset Management Group, Inc., uh, I hope you enjoyed what you've heard. Thank you all for listening in. We hope you've enjoyed this week's What's Up podcast. We'd love your feedback and to hear what's up in your lives. Feel free to shoot us an email to the address in the podcast notes below.